welcome to Dangerously Likely. I'm Caleb Smith. And I'm Terrell Couch. And today, we're dangerously likely to talk about a Supreme Court hearing. Let's go above the fold with this week's headlines. So on Monday, the Securities and Exchange Commission initially approved a proposal that would make businesses disclose the environmental impacts their business has. Environmental activists say that the transparency around climate that this proposed rule would force from businesses would further allow the public and shareholders to hold companies accountable for their role in climate change. Furthermore, it could give those shareholders more leverage in forcing a change of how the company does business to become more environmentally conscious. However, many business trade groups oppose the measure, and this ruling could be challenged in court under the question of whether the extent of the SEC's jurisdiction um, actually extends to climate change. Terrell, what are your thoughts? Um, It's funny because I always say that if you want to see the trajectory of national politics, look no further than Idaho. Um, (laughs) And just before this article came up, interestingly enough, the Idaho legislature passed House Concurrent Resolution number 52. And I'm going to read you one of the, in a concurrent resolution for the state, that's uh, non-binding, but is a directive for committees or um, entities that operate within the legislature to do some kind of research and finding. And I'm going to read you one of the whereas statements because it directly impacts this. Whereas ESG, which is Environmental, Social, and Governance Standards, are intended to alter how businesses and investments are evaluated so that instead of focusing on the quality of goods and services, profits, and other traditional economic metrics, businesses and investments are instead evaluated based on various environmental, social, justice, or corporate governance causes and assigned scores so that they can be compared, rewarded, or potentially punish according to such factors, which is essentially what the SEC is looking at. And um, where, whereas conservatives have tended to lean in favor to larger corporations, and we've seen this modernization of corporate thought to be cognizant of climate change, to recognize that the consumers that they are, are working with and connecting with are um, more thoughtful of these pieces. It is interesting to see how a conservative party is starting to combat even those thoughts and labeling them as um, frivolous or unnecessary, instructing a committee to do a special investigation and have findings for the impacts that these scores can have when truly they are, in my personal opinion, a step in a, a positive direction. But What an interesting time, right? What an interesting time indeed. Let's check out the international fold. The Russian-Ukrainian war continues as Russia continues to demand um, concessions from the Ukrainian people in peace talks. On Monday, Ukraine rejected an ultimatum from Moscow to cease defenses in Mariupol, um, where fighters are managing to hold off Russian forces even though the true toll of um, destruction and death have not fully been able to comprehend from this conflict, as was reported by the Associated Press. Additionally, it's estimated a quarter 
of Ukraine's population has been displaced by this conflict um, with numbers for refugee populations expected to reach 10 million in the coming weeks. And that's coming directly out of Germany. Interestingly enough, two major reports came out today, um, one from President Vladimir Putin's spokesperson saying that nuclear weapons are not off the table and can be utilized if they feel there's um, an existential need or threat. And also some further conversations of the fact that Russian forces have ultimately been stalled. Caleb, as we get into the fourth week, I don't even know how many days, um, I find myself back where we were when the invasion first started. Where does Moscow go next? Well, I mean, one of the other stories that the um, I really the Pentagon released today is that they've been warning businesses and stuff that Russia's next move is going to be cyber attacks. Hmm. Um, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm sure there's like some foreign policy experts that might have a better idea or whatnot. Maybe not. Um, but you know, Mariupol, as we've discussed before is kind of the biggest Ukrainian-held population center between Crimea and the Donetsk region, which is also right where pretty much Russia is. Um, So if Russia takes that, that'll create a land bridge, and it's going to be a little bit easier for them to wrap their forces around Ukraine. I think it's really notable that Ukrainians, despite the complete devastation of cities and whatnot, Mm -hmm. um, are fighting back. And right now, Russia hasn't really taken any big city. Um, And that's scary on one thing, because, you know, I'd like to think that the spokesperson, that Russia's strategy is to continue to scare the world. To what end? I don't know. I don't really see how they're winning here, even if they do something unimaginable, like actually use tactical nukes. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know if it's a bluff. It seems like it's definitely a scare tactic for now, but I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens in the coming weeks and months. And one other point to bring up on that too is um, President Joe Biden is um, heading to Europe to meet with NATO allies and European countries. And one, one narrative that has really kind of come out in the onset of this trip is the anticipation that Belarus will more actively be entering into this conflict and be supporting Russia. So um, here, Dangerous Likely, we'll definitely be keeping this as one of our main um, international fold stories, but there's still a lot of developments and a still rapidly paced um, situation. Yeah, and I do want to just add one more thing. Um, The devastation genuinely has been egregious. And... I just wanted to highlight that since this began, we have been putting or on our episode description, we have been putting a link to organizations that are supporting Ukrainians throughout this crisis. And I hope you consider um, checking that out and seeing how you can help. Staying on the international fold, um, United States Secretary of State Anthony Blinken declares the violent repression of the Rohingya population in Myanmar, um, a genocide, About which time the sixth time in history that um, genocide has been used to speak to an ethnic cleansing. And Iran's supreme leader signals support for nuclear talks on Monday. And we'll be right back.
And we're back. So back in February, President Biden made history or hersery as social media has borrowed story (laughs) has borrowed from RuPaul um, by nominating just a judge, excuse me, um, Kataji Brown Jackson to the Supreme Court of the United States. She would be the first African-American woman um, to serve on the body, but is also the first one to ever be nominated. On Monday, a new chapter in the textbooks was added as Judge Jackson started her confirmation hearings in the Senate, which have been full of fanfare. Many outlets have highlighted how highly qualified Judge Jackson is um, as a current member of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. She was also she would also be the first justice to have ever served as a public defender. Um, And for those not familiar in the legal realm, a public defender are those court appointed attorneys that you may see if you're unable to afford one or one is not of access to you. So um, just such a, a different view of justice and law coming from a public defender space versus working in a private um, private firm, which she did as well. Um, she's also been a former clerk to Justice Breyer. She's a member of the U.S. Sentencing Commission. She's been confirmed three times on a bipartisan basis. The list goes on. A graduate of Harvard, MAGA cum laude, cum laude at Harvard Law. Truly a nominee that I'm sure the White House was enthusiastic to put up um, to the Senate and really be able to set a precedent for what excellence looks like on the bench, not to throw any shade. <laughs> Caleb, I guess for me, I want to just ask some initial reactions as the hearings are starting, as history is being made. Um, what are your your takes on justice? I keep calling her justice like we've already skipped the process. Judge Jackson. <laughs> I mean, I think this is a phenomenal Supreme Court pick. I know Biden came out and said he was going to pick a black woman, which we can talk about what that means in the future of this episode. Um, But like of all the people he could have chosen, like Jackson is a perfect choice for this. And it doesn't change the um, the tilt of the Supreme Court by any means. but, you know, I'm, I'm really hoping to see some Republicans vote for her to be confirmed on this. And I mean, just watching the hearings, like I'm just struck by how like calm and collected she is, but how I feel just watching her speak about things. So, like, I think there could be a conversation to have down the line about what her role in the court is and how people see the Supreme Court with her on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard to not relish in the historical nature of this Um I was able to catch parts and bits of the hearing. And one thing that stuck out to me, um, uh, President Pro Temp Senator Patrick Leahy um, is a part of the Judicial Committee. And as Judge Jackson is giving her oath, you see the press pool taking pictures, but you also see Patrick Leahy with his iPhone pointed at her taking pictures. This is a moment that... So historical. So historical, but also feels like historical feels like a breath of fresh air again. And I know we highlighted that a lot with this administration. But for me, hearing her say, I've dedicated my career to ensuring that the words engraved in front of the Supreme Court building 
equal justice under the law are a reality and not just an ideal speaks to the testament and the the importance touching on the the piece you mentioned of um nominating an african-american female for this position representation has um Mm -hmm. in a country that has struggled to understand what equal protection under the law looks like um for black and brown bodies especially for judge jackson whose parents were raised in the south in florida um during segregation and have seen the evolution of this it brings such a unique and important dynamic to the court that um, I feel comfortable saying when I look at it now, I don't inherently see anymore. Yeah. And I, I just think that like what makes this nomination so unique is that she checks so many boxes that just haven't like so many different perspectives that the court hasn't had before. Mm-hmm. Like obviously she's black. But being black in America means that you have had a way different experience about how justice works. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're also she's also a public defender, which gives you an even more <laughs> different, unique perspective about how justice works. And being the first person like that to ever be nominated to the court to potentially be on the court. Mm-hmm. Does that I mean, maybe not right now. Um, since it seems that even the court itself is is divided among party lines. But do you think that that changes the dynamic of the court a little bit? Hmm. I was planning to jump into this a little bit more, speaking <laughs> on the Supreme Court. Am I jumping ahead? A little bit, <laughs> largely. But I do think I'm interested to see the juxtaposition that a Justice Jackson would have with a Justice Thomas, right? So uh, you will have two African-Americans on that present Supreme Court with wildly different views of what the experience of black and brown bodies are in this country. And I'm, I'm not holding my breath that Thomas will ever soften by any means. I do think he has a pep in his step because he realizes that really, truly, um, his ideology, even further right than Chief Justice Roberts, is kind of winning out the day. But I do question if in those uh, debates, in those conversations, there's this new dynamic that pushes on some of his assertions that I would assume have just kind of been left out by and large because others don't have the same experience. Um, I can't see an Amy Coney Barrett really pushing um, Justice Thomas on affirmative action in a way of um, reason or, or experience. However, I can see a Justice Jackson making arguments that might maybe potentially cause Justice Thomas to take a a thought, an extra thought. One would like to think. But (laughs) who's to say? He's currently in the hospital due to flu-like symptoms. So there's so much still happening in the Supreme Court, and there's so many pieces there. Um, But highlighting what you mentioned of these dynamics that Justice, I keep calling her Justice, that Judge Jackson could bring, Do you think the Republican Party can say no? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it was like pretty important that you mentioned at the beginning of this segment that um, 
she has been confirmed to three different judicial roles in by a, in a bipartisan basis in the past. An appellate court, a district court, the and the sentencing commission. Yeah. And I think that's a big deal. I think, you know, as we've seen, and we will probably go into, um, Republicans have to do their culture war bullshit. They have to kind of make it more about politics than actually making sure the person is right for the job and stuff like that. And, you know, yeah, I'm talking to you, Lindsey Graham and Ted Cruz and so many others. But like, I, I find it hard, especially since this isn't, and maybe this speaks to like the sadness of the era of the Supreme Court and how we nominate people. Mm-hmm. But since this is not like detrimental to Republicans that they vote for this person, I think, I think you will see some vote for, for vote for Judge um, Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, um, they're still going to play their antics a little bit and, you know, with a, with a black woman, you know, I feel like we've seen it before. Uh, you seemed a little pointed at a few senators. I I wanted to (laughs) poke and prod there. What have you heard or witnessed from senators Graham and Cruz? Well, I'll start with Graham because he's pretty quick and I didn't watch the whole confirmation hearing. So I might've missed some stuff that he said, but he had this weird line of questioning about what her faith was. And she said, I'm a Protestant. And then he asked if she's going to be able to like treat Catholics the same, yeah, which was just awkward and it was weird. And I thought she had a good way of saying that it's, equal justice for all. Like I don't put my religion first or anything like that. I thought there was a good answer and I encourage everyone to go watch them, watch the answers or the confirmation hearings. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it was just awkward and it was weird and like separation of church and state, bro. (laughs) Well, that's, (laughs) but also you only highlighted two of the most prominent religions. Of course. In the U S and the U S is like, I don't know. We got everything here. You know, what other religion (laughs) possibly could be, in the mix there, right? It was just so, I mean, it was so on brand for Lindsey Graham. Um, but it was also just like, why did you even bring it up? Yeah. And I, I do want to highlight, I think, I think we got to see, um, some of the, I want to say frustration, but er from judge Jackson in that line of questioning, because her quick response was, um, if you read article four of the constitution, there's no clause for a religious test, right? Which is her demonstrating her intelligence of not only the constitution. Also, we just know that to be fact, but to a really important space when, if I backtrack a little bit, um, the opening of these hearings, Lindsey Graham made a point to juxtapose how this hearing was going to run Versus what we saw during um, a Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett confirmation hearings, really trying to stick it to the Democrats that um, they were too focused on personal vendettas and trying to tear down a person that they weren't focused on the real job of a judge. And in stereotypical Lindsey Graham fashion, 
his first line of questioning is completely hypocritical of his opening statement by talking about her religion, by having this awkward exchange of, well, do you think you can be fair and unbiased to a Catholic as if, um, like what we as a country have this innate bias towards Catholics, which I think most can say is not based in fact or reality. Um, but I did miss Ted Cruz, so I would love to hear what he had to say. Well, instead of me telling you, let's just roll this clip. Now, this is a book that is taught at Georgetown Day School to students in pre-K through second grade, so four through seven years old. Um, do, do you agree with this book that is being taught with kids that, that babies are racist? Senator... I do not believe that any child should be made to feel as though they are racist or though they are not valued or though they are less than, that they are victims, that they are oppressors. I don't believe in any of that. But what I will say is that when you asked me whether or not this was taught in schools, critical race theory, my understanding is that critical race theory as an academic theory is taught in law schools. And to the extent that you were asking the question, I understood you to be addressing public schools. Georgetown Day School, just like the religious school that Justice Barrett was on the board of, is a private school. Okay, so so you agree critical race theory is taught at Georgetown Day School? I don't know because the board is not... Um, the board does not control the curriculum. The board does not focus on that. That's not what we do as board members. So I'm actually not sure. Yeah. So that's Ted Cruz for everyone who uh, forgot about that guy. (laughs) Look, like I said before, like the Republicans are going to play their antics, even if they do end up voting for her at the end. Of course, Ted Cruz so far, I think, it's just no shame in doing whatever it takes, right? He wants Ted Cruz is just, of course, he wants to rile up the base. That's that's one thing. Um, but he has aspirations to be the next president, of course. Yeah, he has aspirations, and that's actually what I was about to say. Is he has aspirations, but he is just so like unlikable. Correct. <laughs> like he is literally will literally try anything to maybe be the next president, and this is one of those things. And it's just pathetic to watch in my opinion i just want to echo a point i made during our above the fold of if you want to see where the nation's going look no further than idaho uh, um, and maybe texas too well i'm going to say idaho specifically and maybe this is like becoming a new catchphrase for me but it is comical that um ted cruz wants to bring up a book from the judge's past that she has no connection to whatsoever, no place in, because, again, not even a week or two ago, the House, uh, the Idaho State House had a top secret folder um, as they were trying to push through legislation that would criminalize librarians and teachers for giving children what they deemed explicit content um, and put them in prison for, I, I forget the sentencing piece, but it was that same kind of notion. There was this book that they had in these files that no one knew of. And then when the state um, Idaho press was able to obtain those documents and release them, 
it was books like Perks of Being a Wild or Perks of Being a Wallflower, or um, mm. there's a a book about a female who is adopted and the struggles that she has with her parents. Um, like really, truly deep, thoughtful content that is not overtly sexualizing anything or doing anything inappropriate um, or providing anything inappropriate to children. And then it was even further identified through Idaho press that um, most of these books weren't even in the child section. And I think the reason <laughs> I highlight that with Ted Cruz, but also in this hearing is another line that the, the Republicans seem to hone in on for judge Jackson was this notion that she's soft on child predators. Um, I don't know her record perfectly, and I will own that that error here. But in her hearings, multiple senators brought up or highlighted how they felt she was soft on child predators because of one or two cases where um, a district attorney might have recommended this offender serve 48 months and she gave them 18 or something along those lines. And very similar to the question around religion, she highlighted or, or mentioned a lot goes into her philosophy and her thought when it comes to sentencing. There's a lot that comes as an impact uh, by no means does she take this lightly, especially as a mother of two young daughters, by no means can she take this lightly. And one piece that um, I think, just further supports a new perspective being brought to the bench. Um, She highlighted that anytime she had to weigh in on these cases, um, she would always recall a story of a um, accuser uh, telling her, the judge, that um, due to the experiences that she had, she was fearful to even leave her her apartment, leave her house to go outside. She was fearful that someone else, anyone that she encountered might have seen those pictures or might have um, glanced upon them and could recognize her. And it caused her such a phobia. She could not leave her own place. And uh, where does it end with the conservative party? And this, this derails a little bit from the hearing, but when you have a, a judge that seems so thoughtful and so aware of the burden that their decisions have on individuals' lives, the impact that they can have for people, where do where do conservatives stop? Especially after a, a Brett Kavanaugh hearing where they took the complete opposite rationale of, no, there's nothing to see here. We don't need to talk about this. Pay attention to something else. I mean, it's appalling that the Republican senators um, engaged in that line of questioning. I don't know where it ends because we kind of live in the era of no shame for the Republicans. Hmm. And I say that broadly, but um, uh, at least the party leaders that we see and hear about every day have no shame in doing stuff like this. It's not valuable for the American people, I can tell you that (laughs) very much, because these hearings aren't supposed to be about politics or supposed to be about if this person is is right to be on the highest court in the land for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. So I don't know where it stops, Terrell. Um, but yeah, no, it's just absolutely appalling. Where the Supreme Court is right now, we have a few um, items on the docket centered around abortion rights and abortion protections. We have several 
um, election integrity questions that are are on the docket. We have um, speaking on the fact that Judge Jackson has served on the Sentencing Commission. The Supreme Court has quite a few death sentence um, issues to tackle. Recognizing that this judge is replacing a, another liberal justice, um, what are your early interpretations of shifts or what are your early thoughts on the items that will be brought to the Supreme Court if, let's say, the Supreme Court rules against Roe v. Wade in the coming months? Kind of what does a Justice Jackson mean for the Supreme Court? <laughs> That's a tough question because it's hard to it's hard to know several months, even several months into the future when some of this stuff is heard and decided on um, the impact that she will have, Mm -hmm. you know, I will, I'm going to go the pessimistic route. Like I like, like even like you said, there's just not, we're not changing the balance of the court. So if the court really is set to get rid of Roe v. Wade, there's not really much that she will be able to do about it. Um, like, and like I said before, I don't know what her impact on the court will be through their decision-making process and whatnot. Um, but you know, I, I hope that some of the stuff that do come to the court, like Roe v. Wade and whatnot, um, like, I hope that isn't overturned. Mm -hmm. Hope to God that isn't overturned. Um, but it's just... I mean, I think I think you have someone that will be very thoughtful um, and very incredibly smart in how they make their arguments. But at the end of the day, you know, that line of thinking seems to be in the minority of the court right now. And it's just hard to tell what the impact of her being on the court will be, at least in the short term. Yeah, I, I know. I'm truly excited to... Um... I'm such a nerd with the Supreme Court and I hate myself for saying this out loud, but I'm very excited to hear her first opinion or read her first opinion. I should nerd. say, <laughs> um, because I do think you you're, you're right. I think that it's impossible to ignore her intelligence. Um, again, being MAGA cum laude when she went to Harvard in her undergrad to cum laude in her in law school at Harvard um but those other experiential pieces that she's had in her life of being on the sentencing commission being a defense uh public defense attorney um it, being a clerk for justice Breyer in the early years it's hard to not anticipate that very similar to um what a Ruth Bader Ginsburg would do of being thoughtful of crafting an opinion to give a roadmap for the future of, I might dissent against this opinion. I don't think we made the right call, but here's how I would approach a life in that world. I do think it's important to recognize and, and something I'm coming to a realization here that where where Amy Coney Barrett and um, Justice Thomas might not have been the appropriate people to fill the bench for those who were um, 
whose positions they were filling. I do think that in stereotypical black woman nature, Judge Johnson is taking on the role of two justices that would be hard to forget or or strongly missed as time moves on in that she is 100% a great uh, uh, predecessor to Justice Breyer, but her intentionality and how I do believe she'll write her opinions will be emblematic and as important as Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And um, I'm excited to have that back on the court. Yeah, me too. I actually want to ask you something before we close this segment. Yeah. Um, so it's actually the question of tokenism. And we've kind of had this conversation a little bit offline before, but President Biden comes out and he goes, I'm going to pick a black woman to be on the Supreme Court. Just explicitly says that. Mm-hmm. And as I think a lot of us know, tokenism can be good. But sometimes it can be valuable. Did I say good? I mean, it can <laughs> it can be pretty bad. <laughs> but sometimes it can be valuable for the person who's being tokenized. It just kind of depends. Mm-hmm. And I guess I just wanted to ask you, like, do you think that in Joe Biden explicitly stating that he's only considering black women for the Supreme Court, do you think, I, I mean... A lot of arguments for stuff like this is that, oh, they didn't earn it. Mm-hmm. And I guess, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think with her, it's it's obvious. She 100% earned it, right? And I have to own a bias here. Like my, my whole life is one of being tokenized and seeing value in it. I've been propped up in spaces that uh, I know I earned it. But I also did have to hear from friends and colleagues at the time of, well, you know, you're the one black guy. Um, So it's hard. It's hard for me to always see the duality of it and and the struggles that some might highlight or the way that people might say that it's blinded me because I, I would argue that only seeing it as a bad thing is more blinding than being able to understand and recognize the true intentionality behind it. Right. And I'm not trying to portray that uh, Joe Biden was in a space of making the perfect intentionality. We have to remember, he said this um, on the campaign trail right after his first win. And it, it was a talking point that he used to win. Like there was an intentionality there that wasn't useful. However, I do think that the Republican Party took that and ran, and that is the part that's more frustrating. They had this posture as though there was no such thing as a qualified Black woman to serve on the Supreme Court. They wanted to make the argument that it was improper for Joe Biden to disqualify any other candidate because he wanted to um, uh, diversify the bench and blah, 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 blah. And what frustrates me about that is they really truly devalue the notion that they've already voted on highly qualified African-American women to serve in appellate and district courts. They've already had these conversations and highlighted there are some great women who deserve to be on there. But just because the president decided to make the move to say, this is my focus they put on these blinders as if those votes never happened and there's no, there was never a chance. And um, 
that's just that's the part that frustrates me the most. I I think as we watch these hearings, we're seeing them try to paint her out to be this um, radical liberal who is soft on crime, soft on crime, (laughs) who's going to bring in critical race theory to everything and ruin America. But the drama, they already have approved of her three times on a bipartisan basis. So it's always the question of what changed now. And that's where I think the, the, the notion of tokenism comes in of, can you be mad at Joe Biden for using it as a campaign pitch? Yes. But I'm more frustrated that the notion that a black woman would serve on the Supreme Court seems so out of the realm of possibility for conservatives that they decided to bring up arguments of, well, you're disqualifying this white district attorney or district judge in Texas and so forth and so on. Yeah. And I just want to say that, like, I don't think. I mean, even if you view it as a bad kind of tokenism, I actually think that even and even if Biden used it to to potentially get elected and whatnot, like at least he meant it, mm-hmm. and he's right. Yeah, we need s- a. There should be a black woman on the Supreme Court. We've had six women on the Supreme Court, and she will be the first black woman. Yeah, like I don't think it's wrong, but I wanted to address it because. You know, sometimes that is the talking point from the conservative party. And I think it's important to have those conversations because a lot of there's also a lot of people out there that just think tokenism is only bad. I.e. almost every white progressive I can ever name in my entire history. And I'm not saying that I'm not trying to give a. A reason for yeah. <laughs> for a white person to tokenize someone of color. Um, we're going to get a bunch of messages in our, um, Gmail after this. Well, Caleb said, <laughs> Oh no, <laughs> but you know, I think, I think it really is up to the individual who yeah. could potentially be tokenized, but also, I mean, judge Jackson is well more than qualified. She's more qualified than some of the people who are on the bench already. There's an intentionality I think is, and I don't want to paraphrase or, or put words in your mouth, but I would say there's an intentionality there, right? Yeah you can make an argument that Biden is tokenizing. However, you cannot make an argument that judge Jackson is not overly qualified. And you can also not make an argument that president Biden recognized that this was an opportunity to right some wrongs. Um, In the time that the Supreme court has existed, if judge Jackson ends up on the Supreme court, she will be only the third African-American to serve on the Supreme Court. And I, I go back to her words. In a country that has struggled to truly understand what equal protection under the law looks like, it's no more inherent than the fact that the highest court of the land does not have more African-American representation of people who have experienced the ills of when justice is not applied equally to apply and utilize not only experience, but knowledge and intelligence to ensure that justice for all is what we do. And, And it's that kind of intentionality. And it's that piece of, I've had plenty of conversations with both right and left about that tokenizing piece, but it's that of, 
I would rather believe that Biden recognized that core crux of it, mm-hmm. not just a, yeah, I'm just going to pick a, a black woman. When, if we're being completely honest, the only president to ever actually do that was President Reagan after Thurgood Marshall um, left the bench. And he chose Justice Thomas, who had no peace and no right, um, in my opinion, to serve on the court. And Reagan was very transparent. The only reason he picked him is because he couldn't put a white guy in third good marshal's seat. And we'll be right back. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at dangerously underscore likely or email us at dangerously likely at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening for notifications of our new episodes. Take us on a tangent, Caleb. All right, Terrell. So my tangent today is about this New York Times article I saw that... Already bad. (laughs) (laughs) The headline for it is Bitcoin miners want to recast themselves as eco-friendly. So to quickly explain what bitcoin miners are and how they are not eco-friendly basically that's a good point to create bitcoin you need supercomputers to solve very complex equations to unlock bitcoins basically Mm -hmm. and that process takes up like loads of energy um you you can't do it on a laptop you could actually do it on a laptop in the beginning of time yeah when bitcoin was first becoming a thing but you can't anymore um and actually, the article highlights a few stats, like a single Bitcoin transaction now requires more than 2,000 kilowatt hours of electricity, which is actually enough energy to power an average American household for 73 days. Wow. It's it's out of control, actually. And like, I know crypto is really alluring and stuff and that this is part of it, mm-hmm. but the amount of energy that like Bitcoin specifically uses is like detrimental to to how we are trying to be renewable in the energy crisis that crises that we go th- that we are going through right mm-hmm. so what frustrates me is like this is just classic like corporate marketing strategy um like for instance in climate change and i actually want to like do a segment on this in the future because it's actually quite fascinating um um and i i want to highlight the source I got this from, which is um, the problem with Jon Stewart on Apple TV plus. But the reason why when it comes to climate change, we have this mentality of, Oh, how can I cut back as an individual? How can I lower my carbon fr- footprint? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The idea of that actually came from oil companies trying to push it onto us and not them even though 100 companies in the world make up over 70% of the greenhouse gas emissions that we see today. So yeah, of course, I'm not saying you shouldn't like make your life a little bit more green. You know, when we collectively all do something, there is benefit to it. But the problem isn't as much us as an individual as it is some of these big corporate oil companies. Now, I don't have time to go into all of this oil stuff. Like the end of the story is that 
oil companies aren't something you can just burn down. They will be part of how we structure a future in renewables. But mm-hmm. the incentives are all misaligned and whatnot. And we'll get into that more in a later date. But specifically with Bitcoin, um, the story really follows this company that processes Bitcoin transactions and they're building a big plant in Texas outside of Lubbock, Texas, hmm. um, that is major- like the vast majority of it is going to be ran on wind and solar power. So like there is an attempt to like make it more eco-friendly and I get that, but you're using so much energy and it's like, it just doesn't feel necessary or, um, it doesn't feel like you're reading the room. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, not that you shouldn't do stuff, uh, more eco-friendly, but you're taking so much energy and like, especially with all the energy crises we're going through today, especially most notably the one in uh, Russia and Ukraine at the moment, like I just, I'm just scared because I know Bitcoin's not going to go away. I'm just scared that this is going to be more all talk and actually less action just to get people to think that these companies are, are there for the good of the environment and the people. Take us on a tangent, Terrell. My favorite climate expert. <laughs> um, I guess I'll, my tangent will be the fact that no one listened to me about Michigan going to the Sweet 16. I won't name any names. Um, <laughs> it is me. <laughs> but had a whole conversation about why I thought Michigan would be a team that would cause some issues for Tennessee that would be harder for them to defend because Michigan has a tendency to play very sloppily and a more polished team banks on um, deflections, rebounds, all of these pieces. And if Michigan plays polished, that team is not going to really fully comprehend how to defend the team right off the bat. Lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. Um, Do you think they go farther than Sweet 16? I'm getting there. (laughs) However... And this is an important part. I did say I I thought Tennessee would end up pulling it out. I thought they had just been playing at a different caliber than Michigan this whole season, and it would be an easy win. I was wrong about that. Maybe if it was a best out of seven. Nah, Michigan probably still would pull it off. <laughs> it was a best out of four, I would give, or best out of five, I would give you that. <laughs> Even three. But I think it, in like a seven, in a seven game series, I think Michigan would be that annoying team that would force the seventh game and then just win it. Yeah, I could see that. Exactly. This now you listen to me. Look, this year this year, I just have to say, I'm sorry to interrupt your tangent, no, Terrell, but I just have to say that that I think I have put together the worst bracket that I have ever put together before. That's not even your fault. This this year is insane. It's a mess. It's it doesn't feel mess. like overseed, underseed, I don't even give a shit. It doesn't matter who you are, you can win a game. That's that's what this year is. And there's always a little bit of that in every year, but this year it just feels like way more than normal. So what you're telling me is St. Peter's is going to take the full win. You know what? That would be... Insanity. Actually incredible. If I'd be did, actually pretty mad know, about that one. I'm still gunning for, for my team, the Gonzaga Bulldogs. I mean, I think that's a safe bet. I still think Arizona's going to pull it off, but... I mean, both Gonzaga's and Arizona's games in the round of 32 were pretty exciting to watch. They were. 
They were and fine. I, those number those number nines really really tried to uh, really took it to them. You know, it's going to be a fight for either team to get all the way there. And I think that, at least for me personally, I think that um, this is the team. Like the Arizona team is very emblematic of the 2008 team that ended up going all the way like they play in a similar way and this is someone who doesn't watch um ncaa very often i just have some historical knowledge thankfully um but they very much remind me of that team so that's who i think is going to take it all the way who's to say mm-hmm. this entire bracket season has been a hot mess yeah i still can't believe baylor lost like it's been a cluster but Michigan's still in it. Michigan and Purdue are the only two Big Ten teams there after Michigan State was touting their horn like, oh, Michigan's a disaster. They just fired their president. They are (laughs) under investigation for their hockey team, and their basketball team isn't even going to make it into the tournament. And lo and behold, per usual, the little brother who just loves to talk a bunch of mess got kicked the fuck out in (laughs) the early stages, and the big brother now has to show the little brother how to perform in a tournament. If you're a Michigan State fan, please keep listening to our show. We really yeah. do appreciate it at the end of the day. If you're a Michigan State fan, you probably know me and I've told you this to your face, so you'll be <laughs> fine. But yeah, that's that's how I feel. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll have more updates on the madness of March uh, next week. Ba-dum-bum. That's our show. I'm Caleb Smith. I'm Troy Couch. And we're Dangerously Likely. We'll see you next week. <laughs>